Hello, and welcome back to the second season, episode one of the Live For Empowering Kids podcast. I couldn't be more excited to kick off our season with Damien Bookman. A one in a billion survivor of his childhood bone cancer, Damien has endured dozens of surgeries, but that never stopped him. He is the founder of the Ability Center and the Wisconsin Adaptive Sports Association. He is also the vision behind the Ramp Up movement. He has a passion for helping people realize their best self, delivering his message of hope. In his words, the work I do is simply my way to honor my survivorship and those who lost their battle. Everybody deserves an equal opportunity to play together. So join me as we welcome Damian Bookman on our first episode of our second season. Live For is a 501c3 nonprofit with a mission to empower kids with disabilities to participate in adaptive sporting and recreational activities. I am Katherine Kraft, the pediatric physical therapist behind this movement, and I continue to strive for ways to break down any perceived barriers and encourage all kids to go confidently in the direction of their dreams. Here at Live For, we do this through collaboration with adaptive and recreational programs and businesses to create unique and inspiring rehabilitative services. So grab a cup of coffee and join us as we get ready to empower kids. Hey, everybody, here we are today with the Live for Empowering Kids podcast, and I can't tell you how excited I am to have our guest, Damian Bookman, on. And I am going to do the shortest of introductions because when you speak for yourself, it is better than anybody could ever do. But what I want to say is I can't believe it's been over 10 years, even longer, since we first met um, at that cafe at Children's Hospital in Milwaukee. And the one thing that I want everybody to know about you, Damien, is that you make people feel like they are the most important person in that room when you're talking to them. And I think that is a true mm. gift. So as soon Intriguing. as I sat, yeah, as soon as I sat down, I was like, I think this guy is interested in what I have to say. And he has so much to say, but he's interested in what I have to say too. And that alone got me hooked and got me super passionate about adaptive sports, wheelchair sports, anything to do with inclusion. And so welcome. And if you could Thank you. tell us a little bit about your story and how you got inspired to do the work you're doing. Well, hey, thanks for having me. Um, I've never heard those kind of words when I've been described before. So that's good. I usually think I talk too much and that people want me to just stop speaking so that they can get a word in edgewise. So that's that's good to hear. Usually the other person is more important than I am because they're more intelligent than I am and possess some kind of education that I don't. Uh, and so I'm always trying to absorb that learning and so that I can drive their knowledge through my passion to make our community better spaces. Um, so how did I get here? So I had bone cancer in both my legs when I was a kid. I was originally diagnosed at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, where we met um, three days before my 13th birthday uh, in 1991. So three decades ago, I'm now 43 and verging towards ancient <laughs> um, uh, and then I, I, after a year of treatment, I was in remission for seven months and got re-diagnosed a month into my freshman year of high school, this time in my left leg. So since that time, since 1992, I've had 23 knee replacements and revisions. 
I joke with kids when I go to schools that I'm Iron Man. Uh, I've taken it all the way, not so much to the underpants, but I wear Iron Man socks. I wear an Iron Man t-shirt. I have an Iron Man hat. Uh, and I joke because I'm basically all metal internally from, from hips to ankles at this point, uh, as they keep taking out more of my bone and just adding in more segments of, of uh, Tinker Toy style metal pieces uh, to and make sure I'm still five foot eight and not shrinking. Well, and how does that feel? Because I know a lot of people that go through that end up being amputees and they just say, we're going to take it out. So do you yeah. know how the decision came to let's keep as much of your bone as we could instead so, of a prosthetic? Sure. I mean, as interesting as that is, um, so more of my friends, I have about a half a dozen friends who also had osteosarcoma as kids. Okay. Take all of them combined and they haven't had as many surgeries as I've had. And yeah. they lost their leg post surgery to infection, not oh, the cancer. Okay. More of my friends lost a leg from infection than they did the actual cancer after oh, limb man. salvage. Okay. And so the fact that I've only had one infection was able to clear that infection. And that happened at my 30th total surgery um, is really unheard of. This is the blessing that is my life, the rarity that is my life. I think the reason that um, people can look beyond disability with me to listen, to hear, and not have, they're not judging a book by the cover because they don't see the inside, if you will. Right. It's not obvious that I have a limitation or a disability unless I happen to drop my pants, which sometimes happen, or you're with me and I'm and wearing shorts. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, that's right. It makes it memorable. It really you gotta be. You gotta do something to be memorable. I agree. And then how does that do with pain for you? Are you in pain every day or how are all you the time. feeling? Yeah, all the time. It varies. Uh, every step I've taken since I was 14 years old hurts uh, to some degree. Some days are worse than others. And, um, you know, it's it's just, again, um, I'm, you know, statistically, actually, somebody did the math for me once, and I don't remember what it is. I say I'm one in a billion, and, and some smart math whiz, I gave him kind of the stats of the likelihood to get osteo, to get it again, to survive it long term, to still have my legs, you know, that's all the unheard of stuff that just doesn't, right. doesn't happen. And so for me, I, I know also too many people who got re-diagnosed with osteosarcoma or childhood cancer in general, I grew up in that world, um, who've passed away. And uh, okay. for me, everything I'm doing now uh, is to honor my survivorship and give back uh, for those who aren't here to even be able to do that. Uh, and so same thing like with the pain in my legs, it's just not even it's not even worth my thought process to worry about it or think about it and not move forward. Um, and, and make no mistake, I, over the years I've made decisions when I got married, you know, 12 years ago, I made a decision, very blatant decision that I knew would take away some of my lateral movement, uh, but would also take away a significant amount of pain. And I decided I've had my fun, I've done my playing, I need to make sure I can get up from the kitchen table to play with my kids in the future when they ask me to throw a ball. Right. And so we make those sacrifices, but again, I'm on my own two feet, so yeah. I have nothing to complain about. No, I think that's really amazing because even with people just having a little bit of pain, it can make them a really crappy person to be around. And I would say I have never seen you crabby. And I think that what you speak is really the truth for you. And I think that's really inspirational in itself. So tell us a little bit about the mission then too, that you're able to go through this pain. You're able to see the bigger picture, maybe not become a millionaire doing what you're doing, but maybe raise a million dollars no. or more. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So tell us about that and what you have done and what you hope to be doing here in the future. 
So uh, I'm the founder of an organization called the Ability Center. Um, I also kind of consider myself a visionary. So there's always things that are popping in my head that I say I have to make that happen. And so I move whatever that is forward. Uh, so the Ability Center's mission is to provide a daily opportunity uh, for people impacted by disabilities to be fit, active, healthy, and to play. And so what does that mean? Uh, for me, I think the biggest problem in the disability space, especially when it comes to activity, um, is that often it's a model where kids or individuals or people are dropped off, right? Yeah. And the problem with that for me is, like I said, I, I'm a dad and I wanna play with my kids. I don't want my kids to be excluded from my world. I wanna bring them into my world. Sure. Uh, and so that's a gap in a hole that we have filled. When we play, everybody plays in what we call a different pair of shoes. So that adaptive sports wheelchair, that's all it is, is a different pair of shoes. And especially kids start to grab onto that when we introduce it in a different way by saying, you need a, you know, football cleats or, you know, a pair of Jordans to play basketball or, you know, baseball shoes or whatever dance shoes, whatever shoes you have to put on to do your activity, you need to strap on a different pair. And so what we're saying is that athletic chair is just a pair of Jordans, right? Yeah. Same thing. It's just another, you have a baseball bat, you have a racket, you have a ball. It's just another piece of athletic equipment. And when you can see it as that, and when you realize anybody can sit in a chair and push it, yeah. uh, we thought, why are we limiting whether someone's disabled or able-bodied to play these games in these yeah. sports? So we welcome them in and it really makes families and individuals feel much more comfortable when they can bring a family member, a sibling, a friend, a cousin, a neighbor to come and play with them because now they feel comfortable, right? They have someone and they know chairs, doing right? something new with them. Yeah, we have these chairs. Yeah. We have a trailer. In fact, yeah. the trailer is overflowing. We're going to have to do a <laughs> fundraiser for a new one because I literally, I'm the only one who can pack it in order to fit the 30 chairs in yeah. this six by 10 trailer. No one else can figure out the, the Tetris of wheelchairs puzzles that I've created Ooh, here. That's a fun game. Um, so we need, a, we need a bigger trailer because we do have, we are really blessed with so much equipment. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I find that, so I'm a pediatric physical therapist, you know, now in the schools, used to be in the, in the hospital setting, but I do find that that's a really big barrier is just the intimidation factor because when you go watch like the UW Whitewater basketball team, for example, who are amazing and super proficient in your chair, if you show mm -hmm. that to a child who's never played wheelchair sports, the first thing they're going to say is, I can't do that. Like, I don't know how to do that. Well, this may get me in trouble, but I've, I've always, I, I point out the problems. I tend to be, I see the problem and, and I want to find the solution. And and what we're doing with our open gyms or with our Adaptus Classic Athletic Program and when we do these things is we're fixing those problems. So here's what I've noticed in the two worlds is um, number one, in the adaptive sports world, everything's competitive, yeah. but not everybody is competitive, right? right? So you invite someone to this very competitive practice who's maybe never been in a sport chair before, even if they're in a daily, they're a daily wheelchair user, it's a totally different world and everything's moving at a much faster pace. Um, you can't keep up and it's embarrassing. Yeah. And if I'm going to be embarrassed from the moment I come in the gym, what's the likelihood I'm going to return? Yeah, right. None. My first time that I played wheelchair basketball, I was on a breakaway. I thought I was awesome. And I'm, I'm pushing down the court and nobody's, I look, nobody's behind me. Next thing I know, the hoop is right under me because I'm moving, which what I thought was fast, which was not fast <laughs> at the time, by the way. I think they just let me have my breakaway. Uh, and the ball, because I was moving with too much momentum, I had no idea to do, came flying off the backboard and I ran smack in the wall in front of me. Ugh. 
That's yeah. embarrassing, right? Yeah. And for my whole first year, a 21 year old girl, you know, not that I have any issue with girls, but it's yeah. like she was, <laughs> she was boxing me out and backpicking me and stopping my chair the whole time. And she yeah. just looked at me and laughed at me and thought it was the funniest thing. <laughs> so if you don't have an uber competitive personality, you're probably never returning. If we keep right. introducing people to adaptive sports in a competitive environment that feels threatening, that could feel embarrassing, even if we talk about veterans, veterans who are at the peak of their you know, their physical uh, ability before they get injured, and now you're gonna put them in an environment where people are blowing by them everywhere, yeah. forget it, I don't wanna be there. That's not, I'm not comfortable. So then the other part of that is in the adaptive sports world is people get in your face. And they're like, you could be a Paralympian. And it's like, wait, I just walked in the gym. I don't know that I wanna ever do that no matter how good I get. So now here's the other side of the equation. The other side is in the, the IDD, the you know intellectual and developmental disability world. And it's the Special Olympics. And the Special Olympics has done it well because they start with recreation. They yeah. start with fun. They start with play. You can be an elite level Special Olympian. There's a world games, right? There's a yeah. national game, there's a world games. You can reach that level if you want, but they start with fun. They start with play. And that's what engages kids and young adults to participate with them. So that's kind of the, it's a mix of those models that I wanted to mash together. And I'll say one more thing of, of one of my favorite stories where we proved this model. There was a, a gentleman who was a quadriplegic who was receiving services from another quadriplegic, learning about what's available in the community for him and you know, what kind of benefits he can get, et cetera. Well, this other guy, he played for the local quad rugby team. So that we'll, we'll call him Gentleman A, played for the local quad rugby team. Gentleman B was encouraged to come to practices for two and a half years, would never accept the invitation. When we hosted a quad rugby focused open gym, Gentleman B brought his caretaker, brought his girlfriend, and brought a friend, and they all played together. He has not missed a practice or a tournament for quad rugby since. That's amazing. And because he are... came into an environment where he felt welcome, wanted right. and comfortable, that was non-competitive and non-threatening. That was his, and he could do it with people he knows. That was his comfort level, not walking into practice where he's going to get blown up, literally right. in quad rugby, right? You could get blown up. Oh my up. gosh. Yeah. And I think that's the game changer right there. And I think that's what people need to hear because a lot of the kids that I work with who, yes, would do wonderful in some kind of adaptive Paralympic realm. And I start the question of, have you ever thought about, you know, maybe doing a wheelchair sport, like wheelchair basketball or something? And they're like, oh God, no, you know, yeah, even the kids right. Go, no, God, not a wheelchair. That's got to yeah. make me incapable of well, wheelchair. Even, even the students like that I work with with spina bifida that have been wheelchair users for a long time now, even they don't want to do it. And I, and I try to get out of them, you know, what's the reason? And not many of them go to a deep level, but a lot of times it's just like, oh, well, I'm not an athlete. And I think they feel in their head, I need to be an athlete in order to participate or move my body. And I'm seeing not just through the pandemic, but even before that with iPhones, tablets, all of that, that's like a global pandemic of just inactivity and, and kids not wanting to move or feeling like, no, I don't want to do that. And so they're not moving yep. their bodies. And so how do you, do you think just that like introducing it in a non-competitive way and saying, Hey, we're just going to have fun. Like, do you think fun is really where we need to start with these kids that don't even seem interested in moving? Hands down. I mean, let's yeah. talk about, you can talk about able-bodied sport. What drives kids out of able-bodied sport? Coaches, 
that are too intense and they've lost the fun. They've lost the joy. They've become burned out and they're gone, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I think everything starts with fun, right? I'm, yeah. I'm coaching my son's soccer team with metal knees. Uh, you know, I mean, it's U7, no big deal, but we're team Hulk and I'm going to get a Hulk mask and Hulk gloves. And I'm going to be that coach that's making them have fun yeah. because that's all they need to do right now to engage in the sport is have fun. And, and so, you know, I, I think again, one of the issues here is you're, you're invited to a practice. And when you get invited to that practice, it's the same thing. It's competitive. Your mom may be by your side when you go, your dad may be by your side, but you're watching everybody being highly competitive an environment where I can play with those people that I'm comfortable with feels much better. And I think the idea that you, again, I think that's, a, to, to me, that's been the problem is it's this very high level Paralympic attitude when you get into adaptive mm -hmm. sports, you gotta let that go. I don't care what demographic people are talking about. There is a small percentage of people that want to be that competitive, that want to train and work that hard because those athletes don't work any harder, any, any less hard, if mm -hmm. you will, than the able-bodied Olympian, period. Mm -hmm. So I think we've got to scale back that very hard level approach and let these kids or individuals find their own way there, right? At some point there needs to be some encouragement, but it shouldn't start there. And, and the ongoing story across the country is also the same. Uh, most often parents who have kids that could use wheelchairs don't want to see their kid in a wheelchair if they don't have to. That's an ongoing comment. Um, and the question kind of becomes why we need to, that's why we call it a different pair of shoes. We need to reframe how we look at that piece of equipment and rethink how we're looking at it. Somebody who is a daily wheelchair user will tell you that I'm not confined to a wheelchair. That means I can't get out of it. That means I don't sit in a bed. That means I never sit in a chair. That means I can't get on the toilet. That's what confinement means, right? <clears throat> so they're not confined to a wheelchair. This is actually a piece of equipment or shoes that create an independence for them, right? Yeah. So you need to just, people just need to look at it differently. And again, when I, when I put, when, when a parent gets in that chair and realizes how athletic it is and how difficult it actually is, and someone else is running circles around them, then they realize how serious the sport is and the game is. And, and they're more encouraged to have people play. Now, one thing to the, to the kid who doesn't think they're an athlete. Okay. You don't, you don't have to be an extraordinary athlete. That's one of the beauties here. There isn't a tryout, right? right? If you have a local team and you show up, you're in, you're on, you're playing, you're on the squad, you're on the roster, you're in, you're on the court, you're on the team, whatever it is. And, and, and I think one of the most beautiful things that maybe people could try out there because it is individual is tennis and in, mm -hmm. in adaptive tennis, you can play against able-bodied participants and you okay. just run your own adaptive rules. It's the only adaptive sports that allows that kind of model. So it's really a great introduction to individualism, to, to compete against yourself, you know, and, and get to heights you may want to achieve. Okay. So when you're running these open gyms, because it sounds like, you know, right now I'm thinking I want to get in chair and I want to go be part of open gym. So when you're running these or you're trying to get people to come out, like walk me through how that happens or how do you, what do you do at the open gym and how do you, what do you say to people when you're trying to get them to come give it a try? Um, just come and play and have fun. I mean, it's really what yeah. we say. Okay. Uh, we, you know, again, it's, a great, another great example we have in that space is a family who adopted um, 
two girls, I believe from China, between the two of them, they have one functioning leg. Otherwise they have three prosthetics out of their four legs. And what I love about these girls is that doesn't stop anything they do. They can do all kinds of things with their prosthetics or on their residual limbs. They don't need to, you know, use the chair. But every time they come to open gym, not only does mom and dad join, but they bring a classmate or they bring a neighborhood family as a whole, and they all play together and have that experience. Awesome. So I think that, and, and then the key too is like, maybe 10% of the people in the gym of the 30 to 50 who people who come to our open gyms actually need the equipment. Yeah. Otherwise it's people who are, are literally like, this is a great time. Like I genuinely am having fun. Uh, we started the country's only three on three wheelchair basketball league for anybody. Yeah. 30 people came and played, only three had a need for the wheelchairs. But, but this wasn't gimmicky. It was literally a 10 week league, keeping score, keeping points, wins and losses. There was a champion and they signed up like any other league and everybody played. Yeah, I think that's amazing too. So when they come though, they're just like, okay, I'm going to try dribbling a ball. Is it basketball? Do you play other things? Is it all kinds they, of stuff? Whatever like, people are in the mood for usually, especially if we have kids, it usually starts out with like sharks and minnows or octopus. Okay. And we're just learning how to push our chair and having fun. And then we might have a kid's game. We might have an adult game. It, it is literally what it says. It's open gym. We've okay. played sitting tennis. Some people will sit on the floor. Some people will sit in a wheelchair or not sitting tennis. Well, yeah, we've played wheelchair tennis, but sitting volleyball is what I mean. Okay. We'll play that. We've played softball, wheelchair softball in the gym before. Um, football, you know, wh whatever, whatever is going to keep people staying and entertained and ready to play is what we're doing. We've done dodgeball. I, I mean, it. you know, I, I, it's, um, it's like no holds barred, no rules, all fun. Awesome. Right? So you That's just show what... up, you bring the chairs, you bring some sport bring equipment, the chairs. you kind of feel out what the crowd wants, what they want to you do. You bring your smile go. and your good time <laughs> and ready to have fun. That's it. It's all we ask people to do. That's awesome. And you do that in Milwaukee or pre-pandemic, you were doing that in Milwaukee area. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what Very I love cool. is, right, it's a trailer full of equipment. So wherever we can find a partner to expand our mission, we're happy to come into those spaces. And my, my organization was founded on the fact that I couldn't find any spaces that were affordable, accessible, you know, or inclusive. And without those things, you know, or available, actually, time actually available, without those things, we couldn't expand and actually run programming. So for a long time, I sat with chairs sitting in my garage doing nothing before people would finally start opening their gyms to let us in. And still, and this is the unfortunate thing, still to this day, there's nowhere near the amount of equitable time that able-bodied participants in the community oh, have yeah. versus those in the amount of time that people with disabilities are getting. And so we're trying to change that too. And we're trying to change that by being inclusive of everybody. It's not right. limiting. We're not saying that this is only for people with disabilities. This is for whoever. It's that term reverse inclusion, right? I, reverse I inclusion. Yeah. Yeah. I love when you Yeah. I'm not it. sure that I coined that, but I've used it very much. I've only heard it from you. And I think it's great. You know, the idea it's, and it goes along with what you talk about with access versus inclusion, you know, like, mm -hmm. or opportunity. I'm not sure. Yeah. Access versus opportunity, I think is what you said, but yep. yes, you, if you're a wheelchair user, you can access a lot of buildings and a lot of places, but how much can you actually do once you're inside there? And so that's what really hooked me to the Ability Center's mission, you know, even that building that one day will be there. 
where mm -hmm. able-bodied users can use everything that's in there, but everything is made for the wheelchair user or made to be accessible. Um, yeah. I think that's I mean, incredible. most of the things in our world that are conveniences for everybody were founded on the basis that they were for accessibility, right? So just the best example out there is the curb cut that everybody knows, that everybody uses if their kids are on their bikes or they're pushing a stroller or whatever, we're using curb cuts every day. Well, that was designed for wheelchair users, for people with disabilities, right. and it works for everybody. And so that's what we keep in saying. So, you know, instead of applying this ADA code, instead of thinking about, <clears throat> you know, how do we make things accessible, we should just be designing it universal from the get-go because to everybody who's listening right now, listen to this one thing if you don't listen to anything else. We are all belong to one community that we call TABS, which is T-A-B-S. It stands for Temporarily Able-Bodied, right? So at some point, whether it's disease, which I experienced, or it's accident or the aging process, we are all going to have a need for greater access in our future. It is inescapable. It's the only thing we can't escape. And if you enjoy the beach today as a 20-year-old, you're going to love the beach as an 80-year-old. But the question is, are you going to be able to get on the beach? If you love to run on the playground as a 10-year-old, I mean, I'm 43 and I still love to play on the playground as a 43-year-old with my kids. But my ability to climb those elements has changed. But if I create it in a universal way that everybody can play on, it's going to work for you from birth to death. And I think that's that. that's the difference of how people need to look at this, that this is not about ADA compliance or ADA accessibility. The fact is, is someday you're going to be there. So if it works for people with disabilities, reverse inclusion, it works for everybody. Yes, I love it so much. And I know we're coming up to the end of our time, but we always like to end. We have a, a two question segment at the end of every show. The first one is my question, which is, what is a recent movement experience that you have had or your family has had that you had a lot of fun doing? So anything regarding movement that was super fun? Yeah, you know, I, at the beginning of the pandemic, I challenged myself and my ability significantly. Um, and I decided to test what, and I even just did it this weekend. What my perception of what I can do with my metal knees and what my doctors have always told me I can do versus what can I actually do or how can I find a way to adapt it? So it turns out I can ride a scooter. And Amazing. people keep asking me if this scooter is an electric scooter. So I had my kids trick scooters that, that okay. I got them at the pandemic. Those wheels are a little too small and the scooters are a little too small that there's not enough shock absorption for my metal knees. Okay. So they're a little bit more dangerous. So I found a better scooter with bigger wheels that I can use. Um, and so my family will go out and will scoot. And now I can go out further with them than just walking. Right. I can keep up yeah. with them. <laughs> I can keep up with them if they're walking because I walk at about a quarter pace of a normal person. I've learned because uh, I'll tell my wife, why don't you go ahead and walk normally and let me see how far ahead you get. And next <laughs> thing I know, she's up the block and I'm like, I don't understand. I feel like I'm walking yeah. fast. Uh, so that was one thing I learned that I can use a scooter. And um, again, am, am I am I tricking in the skate park with it? No. But people keep asking me, too, is it electric? And I say, no, that's lazy even though I have metal knees. No, I'm not going to use an electric scooter. Again, this isn't an accessible mobility device. This is a scooter like you would see on the street. Okay, so that's one. Uh, then this weekend, I was riding a bike. I don't often ride a, a typical normal bike. Uh, and I decided, I kept saying to myself, I can't pedal when I stand. And then I found a way. I challenged myself and I did it. It's not like I can't consistently pedal, but I can pedal right and then I can back pedal and then push my left down and I can still do it while standing to give myself a break on the seat. So I challenged myself a little bit. 
Okay, that's awesome. Because first of all, when I see parents with kids on scooters, they're always just running or walking and trying to keep up with them. I'm like, that is such a great idea. Why don't they just get their own scooter? Get your own adult so, scooter. It's yes. also just like the same brand that they have. So it's kind of cool. Uh, and scoot with your kids. I love it. That's so great. Yeah. Okay. And then a last super fun question. We're calling it the Beckett question. My son's name is Beckett. He is four mm -hmm. years old or almost I like four. it. I always tell him who I'm going to be talking about. And I ask, mm -hmm. do you have any questions for them? Yeah. And let me preface, preface this by, I did tell him what we were going to be talking about. Okay. okay. Here's his question for you. How can we make shoes and costumes by ourselves? <laughs> how can we well beckett you're asking the least crafty person that you would ever know on how to make things uh when i went to cancer camp as a counselor all the time i always hated arts and crafts but i always told everybody the energy you're giving this experience is the energy that kids are going to get out of it so i always pretended like i enjoyed what i was awesome. doing but i really didn't like it either so how how do you make your own shoes here's the deal beckett you come to an open gym and I'm going to show you how to put the wheels on the chairs and then yes. you can play in your own different pair of shoes. I love it. That's perfect. I think Beckett will love that answer and we will definitely bring him out to an open gym. Awesome. Be awesome well, to have you guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's always wonderful to see you. And I hope we'll talk again soon about something else amazing that you're doing. Always here. Call me anytime. Live For is a 501c3 nonprofit. We believe in fostering trust and support in kids to give them the freedom to go confidently in the direction of their dreams. If you would like to know more about our programs and services, or if you would like to contribute to our cause, please visit www.live4for.org.